Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. Awesome. All right, so here's what we're doing today. We are finishing up and actually wrapping up a series called Friending. Uh, this, this week we'll end this one, and next week we begin a brand new series called The Walking Dead. How many of you guys are Walking Dead fans out there? Fantastic. Wow, you're really a Walking Dead fan. That's awesome. It was a full-on, like, loud woo. I don't even know who that came from. Oh, it was over here. All right there. All right. That's impressive. So, so we're starting a new series next week. It is what you think, and it isn't what you think. Basically, the concept of the whole series is when we come to the end of us, that's where Jesus begins. And we are, are dead to, in Christ. That's, that's the verse that we're looking at. And so we are going to look at what happens when we choose to become the walking dead. So invite your friends. It'll be a great series. Uh, but today we're going to wrap up the series called Friending. And what we're doing is, is today... Uh, we are looking at the subject of unfriending. We've looked at what it means to be a good friend or how to be a good friend, the kind of friends you need to have in your life, and then the kind of communities that you need to have in your life. But today, we're going to look at the subject of unfriending. And I want you to know that as we look at this, uh, this is not a simple yes or no, black and white kind of situation. A lot of, a lot of our messages are, look, it's really, really simple. This is what you need to do. Uh, but as we approach the subject of unfriending, we're going to discover that it's more of a tension that exists and is always going to exist, and it's really just a tension to be managed. It's not going to be specific and clear. Uh, it, it, it's going to be something that's going to be managed. So as we do that, understand that, that uh, that's the direction that we're going today. And um, as we also look at the, the subject of unfriending, maybe you don't even, you're not a, a familiar with what this term means. Basically, uh, Facebook has popularized the idea of unfriending somebody and uh, it means to, that you're not going to follow them anymore, and you kind of click unfriend. So you've got this friend on Facebook, and we've all kind of experienced this. They kind of post too much, or, or maybe they tell too much, or maybe they take a picture of every single thing that they eat, and they post it on there, or maybe they go on long rants, or they do a lot of political postings, and so what do you do? You click unfriend. How many of you guys have unfriended somebody recently? Just raise your hand. Don't point. Don't point. Just raise your hand. If they're in this room, do not point. I don't need you to do that. But we've unfriended somebody at some point in time. And I think, I think as we approach this subject, we need to realize that, uh, you know, Facebook has been having like a major impact on us. Like, I think it's a great tool. I think we, when we use it properly to, uh, it, it like adds to our lives. We're able to share pictures and intimate moments that family members couldn't be a part of otherwise. I think it's a great thing uh, that you can use, but, but it's having an unintentional impact on the way that we look at the word or the term friend, right? Like consider this, on Facebook, how many friends do you have? So, well, I've got 350 friends, great. Do you really have 350 friends like in real life, like people that you're close to that you could call on like at two in the morning when, when all hell has broken loose in your life? Are these really your friends? Or like the, the idea of even unfriending, distancing yourself from somebody is just as simple as a click of a button. But it's changing the way that we think of friends. In fact, people will ask me, and I have this exact conversation often, are you friends with them? Do you know them? Well, we're, we're friends on Facebook, but not like, you know, in real life. 
right? It's changing the way that we, th- I have to answer that way because we're not really sure. They're like, well, I see you're friends with them on Facebook. So you have to answer that way because we're thinking that way now. And so it's unintentionally impacting us. And so I think as we look at this, we need to be, be very, very aware of that. And then as we talk about the subject of unfriending, I want to be clear that, that my goal today is not to necessarily to get you to unfriend some people, but it's, it's more to look at those relationships and potentially redefine those friendships, okay? To redefine them because I think it's absolutely essential as a Christ follower that we constantly be evaluating our relationships. Why? Because you and I are headed to a place in our life that, 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 that accomplishes God's plan and his purpose, and it's very specific to us individually. And I think it's important that we evaluate and redefine our relationships often so that we can make sure we are landing where we need to be, that we get to go where we need to go. Not just once, but throughout every season of our life, it'll be important to you. As you enter into different places, it'll be important for you to reevaluate those friendships. Why? Well, here's why, and this has been the overarching theme for our entire series. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. If you're taking notes, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Uh, Solomon said it this way. He's the wisest man who ever lived, and he said, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Basically, what that means is that if you hang out with wise people, you will become wise. If you hang out with idiots, you will become an idiot. If you hang out with liars, you will become a politician. Moving on. And so when, <laughs> when I, if you think about your life, all the times that you've gotten in trouble in your life, you probably didn't do it alone, Right? You probably didn't do it alone. You, you, you had somebody with you. You were either influencing them to do something with you or they were influencing you, right? Like for me, I, I, I know that I got in trouble. Um, I had a friend. We were in a Kmart once, and, and he kind of influenced me to do something bad. I, I told him I wanted this CD, but I didn't have the money to buy it. And he's like, well, let's just steal it. And I had never stolen anything in my life. And I was like, wow, teach me your ways. I'll be your Padawan learner. Like teach me. I'll, I'll, I want to know. And so he said, he taught me about the fact that big retail locations have something called breakage. They have a planned amount of breakage or loss that they count on every month. They count on people stealing a certain amount of stuff from them. And my friend informed me that stealing from them just helped keep their numbers right where they needed to be. So we, so we, he took me into the bathroom and showed me how to rip off the sensor off the CD. Because how many of you guys remember compact discs or CDs? Yeah, all right. And so uh, you, couldn't just, you couldn't download everything, you know, everything, had, you'd buy the CD. And, and so he taught me how to rip the sensor off and hide it in my shirt and walk out the front door. And that started a pattern, a behavior of being a thief. I stole through, I, I, I stole little things, lots and lots of little things. In fact, my, my parents were here, my dad was here first service, I think my mom is here second service, and she'd be appalled to know this, but I wanted to bless my mom, and she had this this little maroon wallet that was like, that held her credit cards, but it held the most important thing, and that was her checkbook. Do y'all remember checkbooks when that was the way to do everything? Okay, so all the old people were just going, yep, yep. <clears throat> she had a checkbook, and it was maroon, and, and I wanted her to have a pen that matched that, you know? And she, her pen, she had one that matched it, and it was silver with maroon on it, and it had run out of ink, and it, de- and it had died, and she lamented that, and I wanted to bless her. So what did I do? I didn't buy her one. I actually was working at Meyer, and I went back to the, to the supplies area, and I found a pen, not the nicest pen, 
because I didn't want to get caught with the nicest pen, but, you know, maybe a $15 pen, and I took that package, and I walked towards the front, and as I walked towards the front, I kind of broke the package in the back, slipped it out, and put it in my pocket. You just said, is he teaching us how to steal? Well, unintentionally, yes. The answer is yes, but not, I'm not trying to, but that's what I did, and then I just dumped the package in the, uh, at, the, at the, the candy aisle there at the, at the cash register, and then I went back to work, and then I gave that to my mom. She'd be, she would be, like, mortified to know my brother's sitting over here going, I cannot wait to tell her. Where is she? <laughs> I said, she would be mortified to know that for years she was using a stolen pen. And then I did this. I had this pattern of stealing over and over again. It didn't matter who I worked for. I would steal staples, I, or staplers. I would steal small things, things that were just not, not going to land me in a lot of hot water if I got caught because I didn't want to get in trouble. But I also didn't want to stop stealing, you know, if I needed something. So I did this over the years for the companies that I worked for, and then it was one friend who spoke into my life. I was at a, I was at a Taco Bell, and, um, and I do this, and I know you do this, and you don't need to identify yourself, but just know that I know that you know that I know. <laughs> you order, you place your order, and you say, and please, sir, can I have a cup for water? And you get your cup for water, and then when you walk over to that fountain machine, you do not push the button for water, do you? You push the button for Coke, and you have yourself a little Coke, and you laugh all the way back to your table. And my buddy was sitting with me, and I was a Christ follower at this point, you know, and, and he watched me do that, and he said, is your eternity worth that cup of pop that you just stole? I was like, whoa, easy, Thunder. Like, chill out. Like, there are people doing drugs and, like, you know, like, bad, bad stuff out there. You know what I mean? Like, really bad people. I'm not bad. And he just kind of broke it down for me and said, you know, you're stealing. And as a Christ follower, this is not what we ought to be doing. And, and so it was one friend, one bad friend, who corrupted my morals. And I, even after I became a Christ follower, I still stole. Didn't even change that pattern of behavior until somebody, until somebody spoke into my life and said, hey, bro, is this what you really ought to be doing? And from then on, I, I didn't steal pop anymore. I was like, man, is my eternity worth that? My, my kids the other day were kind of joking about somebody who did it. And I said, really? I said, is your integrity and your character worth that cup of pop? Is it really? It's an interesting question. One person led me down a path and a lifestyle, and another person brought me out, good and bad. Walk with the wise and become wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. Though I never got caught, I had the potential I had the potential. And so as, as, uh, as Christ followers, we need to realize we have an option. We have an option to choose what kind of influence, what kind of friends we have in our lives. In fact, again, in Proverbs, this is Solomon, Proverbs 12, 26 says, the righteous choose their friends carefully. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the, wicked, uh, the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now, I don't think we do this very often. I don't think we choose carefully very often. I think a lot of times we get put into situations or social circles with people and we make them our friends. But we have the option to choose, right? Because sometimes we, we will meet our friends by chance, but we will deepen those relationships by choice. And see, that's where it comes in. That's what it comes down to is your choice to deepen that relationship. And so we need to make sure that we, we know that we need to be wise and we need to choose with whom we deepen that relationship. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. And we need to get this right. Why? Well, because I don't believe that it's possible. It is impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. 
It's impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. You cannot live a God-honoring life when you don't have friends that are living a God-honoring life. Look at this. The Apostle Paul has reached out to the Corinthian church, and he says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Why would he even start his sentence off that way? Do not be misled. Well, obviously, it's very easy for us to be misled. It's very easy for us to dismiss a talk like this and say, well, this is not for me, this is nice, and I know so-and-so needs to listen to this and to completely blow this off because maybe you're experiencing success in your life. You know what the greatest enemy of success is? Success. Future success is oftentimes thwarted by your current success because you think, I'm fine, I'm okay, I'm in a good place. And so you'll dismiss a message like this. You'll be misled very easily because maybe you're currently happy and you'll blow off a message like this and say, that's not for me. Your heart is already telling your ears to shut down. We can't wait until this is over. I got some food to get to, right? Don't be misled. The apostle Paul was calling out to the church and now I'm calling out to you. Woohoo! hello. Don't be misled. This message is for you. Even as I prepared this week, which I always do, I'm praying through this, asking God, help me redefine my relationships. Help me look at my relationships. Because yes, I'm headed where I want to go, but is there somewhere else I need to be? Is there someone else I need to bring in? Is there a relationship I need to work on? Pay attention. Don't be misled. You can't live a God-honoring life when you don't have God-honoring friends. Now, it seems really black and white, right? It seems really, really simple, what we need to do. Well, yes and no. Yeah, yeah, yes and no, because this, this is that tension that, that I don't think we'll ever eliminate. It's to be managed. Because when you look at the scriptures, there's people on two sides of this conversation. I know the people that are like, be not of this world or anything of this world. For anybody that loves this world, the love of the Father is not in him, so I'm not going to go anywhere where those heathens are. And they look down their long religious noses at people and won't have anything to do with them because they're holier than they are. But we look at that and that scripture, that scripture exists, man. So you got people on that side and then you got other people on the other side, they're like, well, Jesus was friends of sinners, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang out with the people that are broken, following after Christ. Well, what do you do? There's that tension to be managed there. Which one's right? Both. They're, bo- they're both right. Paul's saying bad company corrupts good morals, but Jesus is a friend of sinners. We've got do not be unequally yoked, and yet we are supposed to be the light of the world. That means the light has to go into dark places, otherwise how effective is it? There's a tension to be managed. We have to, the question is, do we reach out to people or do we protect ourselves? The answer is yes. The answer is yes to both. That's the tension. So we have to be careful. We have to be careful because as we, as we protect ourselves, we also don't want to remove ourselves or let anyone remove us from God's purposes and plans for our lives. We can't let them take us off the path, path of following after God, but we also can't let caution cause our hearts to grow cold to the people that need Jesus because God desires to be the shiny in our lives. He desires to use us as we love one another to make a difference in other people's lives for people to say, man, the way you guys love each other is crazy. I need to be a part of that. 
for those that are far from God to see that. That's what he desires. That's his plan ultimately for you. So how do we resolve this tension? Well, I don't think you do. I think you just continue to manage it. You continue to manage this tension throughout your life. One of the ways that you can manage this tension is by looking at your close inner circle. See, not everybody needs to be in your inner circle. Your inner circle consists of four or five people. They say you are the average of your closest five friends, right? So who are your closest five friends? And the way that you can manage this tension is by making sure those four or five closest friends are Christ followers. Those people that you influence the most and those people that influence you the most. Those are the people that you need to make sure they are Christ followers. Why? Because when they are, they will encourage you. They will pray for you. They will support you. They'll be like my buddy Jason who corrected me. And when you have this kind of support in your life, what happens is you have the ability to let your roots grow deep and be supported and strong as an individual. And when you are strong that way, then you can reach out. Your reach grows. And when that reach grows, because your support is strong, you can love people better. You can reach them. You can be the shiny. But you have to have that support in place. What happens if you don't have that support in place, and yet you're reaching out? Like your five people, they're not Christ followers. They're not encouraging you or praying for you or supporting you in your endeavors to follow Christ, and yet you still reach out to people. What's going to happen? You're going to get your spiritual butt kicked. That's what's going to happen. You need to have that support in your life. And when people support you, encourage you, correct you, guide you, and pray for you, that's when you can be the shiny. That's when you have the support to love people the way God intends for you, who he wants you to be. So we need the core strong. We need our roots deep so that the reach can be wide. That's, our, that's God's purpose for us. The perfect example of this, of course, and in all things, is Jesus. Look at his life. Jesus loved everybody equally, but he didn't treat everybody equally. He loved them equally, but didn't treat them equally. Look, he had 12 disciples that he, that he gathered and had closest to him. And of those 12, he loved them all equally, but he didn't treat them all equally because he had three, Peter, James, and John, that he spent most of his private, intimate time with. And of those three, there was one who the Bible says the disciple whom Jesus loved. One guy that Jesus just totally vibed with, and it was John. He loved them all the same, but did not treat them all equally. Even to the crowds, the people that Jesus was ministering to and witnessing to and, and preaching the good news to, he withdrew from them often. And who did he withdraw with? He withdrew with his disciples. And then when he withdrew with his disciples, he would withdraw from them. And he would spend one-on-one -on -one time with God. Why? So his roots could go deep and his reach could be far. Even with the Pharisees, he loved them as much as he loved everyone else. And yet he distanced himself from them. Because of their hypocrisy, he did not treat them the same as he treated everyone else. He kept them at arm's length. So show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You can't live the right life without the right friends. And I've been saying this for three weeks now. This is the fourth week. And some of you are kind of getting it. You're like talking to me. You're like, all right, Aaron. So my friends who are knocking off banks and who are running a meth lab and who are like their crime, organized crime bosses, these people in my small group, I need to, I need to make new friends, right? Yes, obviously, right? You could probably put your fingers on some friends, some close friends in your life. You probably, that you need to like say, all right, I need some new friends. 
Others of you, it may not be that obvious, though. Others of you, it could just be that you've got somebody in your inner circle that's just really, really super critical. Or somebody that, that is just really, really negative. Somebody that is tempting you to do things that are not God-honoring with your life. Maybe it's just somebody, something, somebody as, that is doing something as simple as dressing immodestly. And that is like rubbing off on you. Or you're spending time with those kind of people. And I would tell you, you probably need some new friends. You, probably, you need to figure that out. Even if you don't click the unfriend button in real life, you need to redefine those relationships. Set new boundaries. Because not everybody needs to be on the inner circle. Not everybody needs to have that much influence. And we need to realize that the righteous, which is us, we need to be wise and we need to choose carefully. So today, I'm going to give you a couple things as we discuss this subject further of unfriending. Today, I'm going to give you two things that we can never let our friends do and the one thing that we need to commit to always doing. The first thing that we need to never let our friends do is never, I will never let my friends distract me from God's plan. If you're taking notes, I'm never let my friends distract me from God's plan. Jesus, again, the perfect example of this. He's telling his disciples, I'm getting ready to leave. I'm getting ready to go to the cross. I'm getting ready to die. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and this thing is going to take over, and it's going to be madness. And Peter, one of the 12, but also one of the three closest, says to Jesus, no, you can't go. We've got plans for you. You can't die. You're the Messiah, for crying out loud. You're going to be the king. You're going to overthrow the Roman Empire. You're going to free us from the oppression. And yes, Jesus came to free them from oppression, but not not the Roman oppression. He came to free them from the oppression of sins. And they just weren't getting it. And Peter's like, nope. Here, this is what I got for you, Jesus. It's a pocket full of nope. You're not going to Jerusalem. You're not going. And this is Jesus' response to his close friend, Peter. It says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. If you ever need to just kind of make it final so that they understand just call someone Satan, and I think they'll get the picture. Some of you are wondering if this works with a mother-in-law, and I would not encourage it. Don't ever want to put her behind you. Back. Just kidding. Just get, me, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. He made it very clear. You don't have in mind God's plans for me, and you are not influencing me well. He said, I'm not going to let you keep me from what God has in mind for me. I love you, but I'm not going to do it. He redefined the relationship and said, here's the boundary. Don't cross that line. Some of you have friends who, on a regular basis, do something as simple as try to talk you out of going to church. What? You went to church last week. You don't need to go again this week. When they find out you're going to a grow group, well, come on, you don't need to go to that group tonight. Why are you so committed to them? You don't have to go. Come hang out with me. Come be a part of what I'm doing. And they try to draw you away from where you're connected. They try to draw you away from your source of love. They try to draw you away from spiritual relationships. 
Some of them, it's not even, it's not as, as overt as that. Some of you just have relationships with people who are just really materialistic. And you, you've got a personal desire, and maybe you're even praying about how you can become more generous, how you can maybe give, it, maybe, maybe the intent is to give at the church, or maybe it's even to have a financial plan that you get out of debt so that you can have a little bit of extra money on hand so that when your friend or the person on the side of the road needs some money or needs some help, that you're able to help them in a very real and impactful way. And maybe you've got this plan to do this and you're prayerful about that and you've got friends that are materialistic and every time you get together with them, their love for money and their love for things is rubbing off on you, steering you off of the path that God is leading you down. Or maybe it's just as simple as, as you ladies, you're hanging out together and you ladies are, and the ladies that you're hanging out with are talking bad about their spouses, talking bad about men. Men this, they're just such dirty dogs, blah, blah, blah. And instead of, of cutting that relationship off or even just cutting that talk or that kind of behavior off by saying, hey, we, we need to honor our husbands with our words. We need to love them. Maybe if, if this is really bucking you, let's pray for them. Maybe you need to get counseling. Just kind of cut off that behavior. Guys, maybe you're hanging out with other guys and they're like, like woo-hoo-hoo-hoo, do you see her? I'm so thankful that God made her. And you're married. They're having these kind of conversations, this locker room kind of conversation. And you need to cut that off and go, guys, hey, you know what? There is one hot chick in this world, and it's my wife. And I pray on a regular basis that God gives me eyes just for her. Can we knock off this behavior? And what you do is you draw the line in the sand and say, it's not that I'm better than you. It's just I'm going a different direction. I'm headed this way, and ultimately you have to decide. If you're not going to get on board with that, I'm going to go here. I love you, but i got to leave you. I've got to head in another way. They want you, though, to mind the things of men and not God. And they'll try to talk you out of God's plan over and over and over again. I don't know, I'm not sure how this will apply to your life, but I know how it applied to mine. When I was in high school, man, I was in a very close-knit group of people. I went to a private Christian school, and... and um, these people, I, had, I was in a, a close-knit group. There was like 20, 25 of us, and we went through sixth grade all the way through our senior year, most of us together. A few people left here and there, but there was this core group, man, and we were always together. We, we had so much fun together. My, my junior high and high school years early on were awesome. What we did every Friday night was hung out with each other. We got together, and Dumb and Dumber, Clueless, or Mortal Kombat was playing in the background every weekend. Anybody have an awesome, awesome teenage years like I did? Nobody, huh? Oh, one person. Okay, thank you. There was one first service, too. Whew. So glad to not be alone. But this is what we did. We hung out with each other. We watched those movies and, and just spent time with each other. And so we were really close-knit. We just loved that. And as we got older, though, they started making decisions for themselves. They got attracted to different lifestyles, different things of the world, man. They wanted to, they wanted to drink. They wanted to smoke. And, and they had to find people because we were all underage to buy those things for them. And when that kind of stuff ran out, when they couldn't find people to buy the alcohol for them, or they couldn't find people to buy the smokes for them, they decided to, or they ran out of money, they decided to break into people's homes and steal their alcohol. These are my friends that broke, broke into his neighbor's house, robbed them of all of their liquor, took jewelry and took money so that they could continue that lifestyle. And I looked at them and I was making a decision for Christ. And I was like, dude, I, I, I can't hang with that. And for a while, everything was okay, but I kept saying no to their invitations to come party. I kept saying, no, 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 I'm good. And, and finally, I decided to compromise. These were my friends after all. I loved them. I wanted to be with them. And I went to one of their parties. I'd never had beer before. 
And I walked in and they handed me a Coors Light. They cracked the top and they gave it to me. They were so excited that I was there. DeLong's here. What's up, guys? Smalls is in the house. That was my nickname, Smalls. Don't, don't start it. It's not sticking. It's not a thing here. <laughs> and they were excited that I was there. They gave me my first beer and I took a sip of that and I was like, Whoa. this is good, man. This is really good. Thank you. Woo, party. I didn't have another drink of that. That was the worst tasting stuff I've ever had in my mouth. But all night long at that party, they kept bringing me new beers. Here, dude, you need another beer? Here, have another one. They kept trying to shove it down my throat. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll take one. And then as soon as they walk away, I go to the refrigerator and put it back in the refrigerator and just hold the same one I had. It's good. Party. It's awesome. All night long, same beer. They kept bringing me more and more, and I just kept putting it back. And I watched as they all slowly got drunk, some of them went to different rooms with their girlfriends and others passed out on the floor or on the couch. And I went home the next day and I felt horrible. I felt horrible about my decision to compromise where I was. Even though I didn't participate in the way that they did, I felt like I was kind of contributing to it, you know? And I said, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So the invitations continued to come. And I said, guys, I, I had to have a conversation with some of them. Guys, I, I can't do that. I, I, can't, I can't do that. I can't go with you. I love you but I can't go with you. Now, let me tell you what, that what happened was I, I got cussed out. I got called names. I was ultimately abandoned because of that. See, what I was doing during that time is I, was, I would spend time at home. I'd read, I'd pray in my room, or I'd go to youth functions and spend time doing those kind of things. I'd even broken off relationships with girls who were pressuring me for, to have sex with them. Nope, I'm not doing that. All during this time. And I love my friends, but I was heading down a different path and I didn't want them. I didn't want them to take me off a path of following God. I didn't want that, and yet they chose. That's, that's the direction they chose to go. And so I had to redefine those relationships so that they didn't distract me for God's plans for my life. To this very day, it's, it's funny, I, I still meet people or reconnect with people that knew me during that time. And today, they're Christ followers, and they'd come up to me, and I'm like, what are you doing with your life? And they'll tell me they're following Jesus. And I'm like, huh, never pegged that one. I don't tell them that, but like in my mind, right, that's that conversation. I'm like, I never saw that coming. And they'd say, the reason I'm following Christ now is because of who you were then. I watched what you went through, and I watched your dedication, and I watched that, and that it was a seed that was planted in their hearts and their lives. It's amazing. When you redefine the relationships, all the things you think you're going to lose wind up not happening, or maybe they do. But there's these incredible stories that come from it. So we can't let friends distract us from God's plan. The second thing we can't let our friends do is continually tempt us to sin. We need to love them, but don't let them drag you down with them. In fact, in the story of Joseph from the Old Testament in Genesis Joseph is, is a young Jewish guy who's sold into slavery because he's a dreamer. He believes at some point in time he's going to be, be a, royal, a royal and people will bow down to him. And here Joseph is, he's the, a slave, and he was sold to Potiphar. And Potiphar was a high-ranking person in Pharaoh's, uh, in Pharaoh's you know, hierarchy of, of people in his government. And when Potiphar's out of town, this Jewish slave boy, because he was so well-esteemed, he let him run his whole home. Potiphar would go and travel and work, and Joseph was in charge of everything. He was trusted. But 
Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph because he was a good-looking dude. And she kept saying, Joseph, you big stud, take me to bed or lose me forever. Thanks, Lynn. <laughs> and Joseph kept saying no. He's like, nope, I'll have nothing to do with that. Nope, 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 nope. And he kept pushing her away. In fact, what we're going to see here in this verse, this is this whole thing coming to a head. Joseph keeps pushing her off and saying, no, I'm not going to let you tempt me to sin. How can I do this? How can I do this and sin against my, my, my master and sin against my God? And look what happens. Eventually, Potiphar's wife caught Joseph by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. And so Joseph, he ran. He ran so far away. He couldn't get away. At some point in time, Joseph said enough is enough. He said enough is enough. I'm not going to let you continue to tempt me. I'm going to run. And what you and I need to do in our relationship with those people that are tempting us is we need to redefine it. We need to run. We need to run. Sure, Joseph was afraid. He's a slave. I'm sure he was afraid to confront her or confront his master about his wife's attempts on him. I'm sure he lived in fear of the results of confronting that, of running away. And ultimately, when he chose to run away, she grabbed his cloak and told the master lies about him and said, you know, he tried, to, he tried to sexually assault me and hurt me, and so Joseph winds up in prison. Would Joseph have actually gone to prison if he cut it off in the beginning, though? Would he have endured what he had to endure? Who knows? It's hard to say. But we know for sure that that's where he wound up. And he ran, and you and I, we have to learn from Joey. We have to just run from that kind of stuff. We need to redefine the relationships in our lives, especially when people are tempting us and say, that's not for me. And we have to let go of the fear of the consequences of doing that. Because a lot of us would probably like Joey. We're stuck in one spot. We're frozen because, man, what happens? I'm a slave. He could beat me. He could kill me. He could, he, there's all kinds of things he could do to me once I confront this temptation. And some of us were the same way. We're like, man, do you understand what's going to happen if I, if I speak to them about this? I may lose them as a friend, and if I lose them as a friend, I lose X, Y, and Z. Maybe they're a close friend. Maybe they hold a lot of cards in your relationship. And to confront them about this would mean that you would lose that relationship. You lose the benefits of it. You lose maybe some power, some prestige, opportunities. Maybe they've got a sweet lake house, and you don't want to give that up. I'm being real. That's, that's real. That's on your level, Right? We worry about what happens if we confront this constant temptation to pull us away from where we're headed. We worry about addressing it in people's lives. And sometimes it's simple stuff, man. Sometimes maybe you've got a, you've got a friend that's a gossip in your life and they, they want to gossip to you and they want to tempt you and try to pull you into that gossip. And you just need to cut that off and say, you know what, this is obviously bothering you about them. Have you talked to that person about what you're telling me about? Let's pray for them right now. Let's go to him and talk to him right now. Let's get him on the phone. Get a little uncomfortable in here. Real talk. Real talk. Come on. What do you, we have to stop being afraid of what it means to address these issues. We have to redefine the, the friendship. 
Say, I'm not doing that, and if you keep pushing me, if you keep tempting me, I can't hang with you anymore. A lot of us are just afraid of that cost. We have to break free from that. Redefine the relationship. Why? Because show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You can't live a godly life or God-honoring life without God-honoring friends. In high school, after my friends kept pushing me to, to, to party with them and I kept saying no, I lost every single one of them, but what I gained out of that process was strength. What I gained through persecution was that I knew God was with me through all that, and I knew that I was honoring him, and my relationship with him grew stronger. In fact, I gained new friends. In fact, I also gained a mentor through that process, and my, my youth pastor began to invest in me, and he's the first person to ever look at me and say, God's called you to ministry. Years later, here I stand. I gained so much out of that experience. It cost me a lot. And it will cost you a lot to redefine your relationships. This is not something I tell you to do lightly. We can't let our friends distract us from God's plan or continually tempt us to sin. We need to say to our friends, I love you, I care about you, but I'm not going down with you. And the last thing that we need to do is, is we have to commit to never stopping and say, I, I, one thing I won't stop doing is loving people with the unconditional love of Christ. See, as, as you go through this process, you're going to find people that you identify, that you redefine the relationship, and it's going to feel harsh for them. And the worst thing I, th- I think that could happen out of this talk today is that you walk away going, all right, I just need to cut them off. And that you develop an attitude of holier than thou, better than you, that you, that you develop a very cold heart towards people, and you become a religious snob as a result because, well, I, I can't, I want to go this direction and I can't have you in my life. And let me tell you, there's a loving way to handle this. There's a loving way to navigate your relationships where you can go on and love them and invite them to go where you're going and be loving and accepting right where they are. Because here's the deal. You cannot make a decision to go and follow Christ and do this and expect them who have not decided to follow Christ to follow you, to do what it is you're doing. Because see, stop expecting non-Christians to behave like a Christian. They didn't sign up for that. They don't know what all that's about. And we don't get to look at them and condemn them because they're not behaving like the Bible says. Duh. Seems kind of obvious, doesn't it? They didn't sign up for that, so we have to love them where they're at and still go where we need to go. Oh, that's good stuff. Somebody ought to be writing this stuff down. Seriously. (laughs) Tweet, no, Tina's got it. She's writing it down. Somebody ought to be tweeting it. Somebody ought to be putting it out there. Let this change your life. You can love them where you are and still go where you need to go. It's that tension. We need to love them unconditionally because Jesus didn't unfriend sinners. He was a friend of sinners. He loved them where they were, and he invited them to go on a journey with them. He didn't come to the tax collector, to Matthew the tax collector, and say, hey, uh, I need you to repent. I need you to pay everybody back, or even to Zacchaeus the tax collector. I need you to pay everybody back. I need you to to, to get your life straight, and uh, I'm going to be over here preaching, and when you got all this together, come follow me. Okay, cool. Laters. No, he caught him in the middle of being a tax collector and said, follow me. Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. I'm going to have lunch with you today. This is what leads people into relationship. 
with Jesus, loving them where they are. We have a sign on the front, and our invitations all say, come as you are. We believe that. We live that. We want you to come as you are. It's not my job to clean you up. It's his. And he'll do that as you walk with him. It's not your job to even make everything right in order to follow him. It's your job to follow him despite not having everything right. Jesus didn't unfriend sinners, but he did distance himself from hypocrites. We have to deepen our roots, folks, so that we can broaden our reach. We need to have these strong relationships so that we can love others. We cannot lose sight of what God has called us to be, what he's intended us to be, and that is to love others with unconditional love. Yes, there's a time for grace, and yes, there's a time for truth for those people that we are loving. But who knows what incredible stories may come from us choosing to love people unconditionally. So we live with this tension. Go into all the world, but don't let the world distract us or take us off of our path of following God. We, we have this kind of love for each other. When we draw these kind of lines, we're actually accomplishing the commands that Jesus gave us. When we do this, we fulfill what he ultimately wants for us. Look in, in John 13, 34 through 35. It says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Look, he's not talking about church attendance. He's not talking about being involved in a grow group or how much you give in the offering. What he's talking about is if you love one another the way that I've loved you, the way that God loves us, if you don't know, is with an unconditional love. Doesn't matter what you've done, he loves you. Doesn't matter what you said, he loves you. Doesn't matter how far you've been away from him, he loves you. It's unconditional. There's nothing you can do that will separate you from God's love. Period. End of story. Done. It's done. It's unconditional. And that is the way we are to love the people in our lives. Not just the people we like, the people that are hard to like. Or maybe even those people that maybe you've had to redefine the relationship with. That is how we are to love them. In the heart of Jesus, Jesus' teaching says to love God with all that you are and then to love people in that order. That's the primary one. That's why we can't let people keep us from accomplishing his purposes. We can't let people continue to tempt us. We have to move towards his plan and his purpose for us. That's the love God. Obedience, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's what we don't like, we go. And then it's love people. We got that in order, now we can love people. Hey, man, I'm going. Come on, come with me. Come meet Jesus. Love them right where they are. That'll preach. That'll change a world. See, when we do it that way, when we love each other, it turns us into the shiny people. See it. They want it. They want to be part of it. They begin to salivate for it. There's something different. I can't tell you how many times I wrap up messages just like this. And yet we walk out our, these doors and we forget. This is the thing, folks. The thing. It's not about unfriending. It's about following, redefining, loving them where they're at. That's what it's all about. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I hope you've got that from this series. I hope that you've learned to walk with the wise. Make a choice. 
To walk with the wise and become wise, a companion of fools suffers harm. You can't live the right life when you don't have the right friends. That's why you gotta get it right, have the right core, so that your roots grow deep and your reach can grow far. That's what makes God's love and light shine brighter in a dark world. That's it. That's the plan. Let's pray. Today, if you're a Christ follower, I would say that, that maybe, maybe you're a little uncomfortable with this message. Maybe, maybe he's speaking to you about a relationship you need to redefine, and that makes you uncomfortable. I'll actually celebrate that because that's a good place to be. Others of you, maybe you've just completely dismissed this as, this is not for me. So-and-so needs to hear this. He's a hot mess. But I'm going to ask you and remind you, don't be misled. This is for you. This is for me. Bad company corrupts good character. Today, if you're realizing that some of your inner circle may need to change, I know that that's frightening. But if you recognize it, that doesn't mean you don't love them. But it means you also can't let them keep you from God's plan and purpose for your life. It means that you can't let them continue to tempt you. You see that it's time to redefine that relationship or even several relationships. God may be showing you that. Would you say, Aaron, that's me? Would you just shoot your hand up and say, that's me? Aaron, pray for me today. Pray for me. That's me. I got to redefine some relationships. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Father, I, I just pray right now for... for all those that, that have raised their hand, even those that didn't raise their hand, those that are watching my Periscope or listening by podcast that are saying right now, yeah, man, that's me. Lord, I thank you for this word and its impact on our heart and lives. Father, I pray for uh, the strength so that, so that uh, we learn to manage this tension well because we've got to get this right. We've got to get this right where we follow you completely and where we redefine our relationships so that we can follow you completely. Lord, we've got to get it right. We've got to manage it. Help our relational roots, Lord, grow deep so that we can have a, a broader reach and love more people. Lord, and I pray that as we redefine our relationships, God, that you would help us do it with love so that your light shines into their life, Lord, so that they don't feel like we've abandoned them, so we don't feel, they don't feel like we think we're better than them, Lord. I pray, God, that your love would be seen and known as they do what you're leading them to do. I thank you, God, for your work. As we continue to pray today, maybe there's some of you here in this room that you're not a Christ follower, and you need to be. And you're realizing that today is my day. I'm here for a purpose. I didn't know why I was here. A, <clears throat> a friend just brought me today, or people have been inviting me, and, and, and I'm here today, and I, I'm not following Christ. But I, but I need to. I, I'm realizing I, I need that relationship, that primary, that fundamental relationship in my life because if Jesus was a friend of sinners, well, that's me. I'm a sinner. What's a sinner? Somebody that's doing everything their own way. The problem with doing everything our own way, we make ourselves God. And we sin. We miss God's best for us. That's what sin is. And that's what happens when we do things our own way. And so... We're sinners, all of us, every single one of us. And Jesus is the friend of sinners. That means he wants to be your friend. And today, if you need to make that commitment, if you need to say, Jesus, I need you to be my friend. I need you to be in charge. I need you to show me your ways so that I can live my life in a God-honoring way, so that I can do things to please you, so that I can follow after you and be called a son and a daughter of God. And yes, have heaven in the, in the world to come. 
but to have a life today that is full and fulfilled. That's what Jesus wants for you. And that comes from doing things his way. If you're ready to make that commitment and say, Jesus, be Lord, be the boss of my life, I'm gonna pray a prayer. If you wanna be counted on that prayer, would you just shoot your hand up and do it now, just right now, just shoot your hand up. Yeah, they say it's all over this place, it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome, thank you. If you're watching my podcast or listening to my podcast or watching through Periscope, look, I'm including you in this too. There are hundreds of people who watch every week through our live broadcast, and I'm talking to you today. I'm gonna pray this prayer. God will reach you right where you are. It doesn't matter where you're at in this world. He is big enough. He is powerful enough to reach you where you are. The Bible says in him, we live and breathe and move and have our being. He is there with you now. Pray this prayer with us now, and I believe he'll meet you at your point of greatest need. Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you came to this earth. You lived a perfect and sinless life, and yet you died for me. You died on that cross and rose from the dead three days later. And you did all this so that I could be forgiven, I could be made brand new, so that I could learn to be different. Jesus, teach me your ways. And I promise you, I'll spend every day doing things your way. Give me your Holy Spirit and the power I need for this journey. Be Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.